Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to the latest edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast where we are recapping Monday free agency for the Browns. Uh, We talk about their decision to move on from Jarvis Landry, the addition of Taven Bryan, and then we look over at the Steelers who of course added Mitch Trubisky on a two-year deal today. So that's coming up in the Orange and Brown Talk podcast with Doug Maurice, Mary Kate Cabot, Scott Patsko, and me. Now if you're not a football insider subscriber, you should be. Go to cleveland.com slash browns, the blue banner at the top of the page to get a daily newsletter delivered to your inbox. I wrote the one that's going, or I'm going to write the one that's going to our subscribers on Tuesday. Uh, you can also become one of our text subscribers. We text throughout the day, news, analysis, all sorts of stuff. You got a bunch of texts on Monday if you're already a subscriber. If you're not, you missed out. And then of course you can get access to those exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash browns, which is the really good stuff on top of everything else. So cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page to get info and get signed up. Okay, let's talk day one of the NFL's legal tampering period on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Here we are in the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, recording this on Monday, the first day of the NFL's legal tampering period. Uh, look, let's just start here. Jarvis Landry is no longer a Cleveland Brown. It's not a surprise, uh, really. I mean, we've been talking about this for a while. We've mentioned that it, it sounded a couple times like Andrew Barry uh, was saying goodbye to Jarvis Landry. There was a chance that maybe a restructure could have happened, but obviously that did not happen. The trade, of course, never came along either. Uh, so I guess there, there's a few ways we can go with this. I don't know if anybody wants to say an emotional farewell to Jarvis Landry, but I'm curious what you all think about kind of what this means about the direction of the Browns receiver room as we move forward, because right now it's a pretty thin room. It's Amari Cooper. It's Jamarcus Bradley, Anthony Schwartz, Demetric Felton, Richard Higgins is still on the roster page, but he's probably not going to be around. There's not a lot going on in this receiver room. Donovan Peoples Jones, of course, as well. uh, And I'm sure I'm forgetting some of the important, but it's not a very uh, complete receiver room. So Mary Kay, I guess, what does this tell us that that Jarvis Landry is no longer a Brown uh, about how they're going to approach this rebuild of of the receiver room around Amari Cooper? Well, I still think that they're going to draft a receiver fairly high, and it's a pretty deep class. So I think you'll see one or two receivers come in the draft. Uh, You might even see another receiver trickle in as free agency goes along. But I think you'll see a pretty significant one come somewhere in the draft, depending on what happens with their number 13 overall pick. If they still have it on draft day, uh, I still think that you can look to that pick and and think maybe a a Garrett Wilson is coming or maybe a Drake London is coming. 
Uh, if they don't have that pick, maybe you can get st- somebody really good still in the second round, maybe another one in the third. So they're not done with the, uh, with the receiver room yet. You will see more. Scott, how many receivers do they need? That's a good question because uh, <laughs> as we've noted, they don't have three of them on the field as much as other teams. You got, I mean, but they went through over half a season last year and at least half a season in 2020 with Donovan Peoples-Jones as that quote-unquote second guy, if we're, if we're calling Jarvis Landry, you know, the first guy there. So you need two guys you can rely on a lot. I don't know why Donovan Peoples-Jones wouldn't have an opportunity to be that number two guy right now, other than the fact that he's not really as versatile maybe uh, moving inside and outside as, as you might want. Um, but, you know, they, I, at this point, I can't see them. They're not going to bring in somebody that's going to wow you as a free agent receiver. Definitely not Christian Kirk, my pick. <laughs> oh boy. He's making what almost 20 million a year. Um, that was a lot more than I had anticipated when I had him going to the Browns. Um, but yeah, I don't, it, it's going to be somebody uh, that's, that's here. That's maybe uh, they're, they're banking on upside, something like that. Um, but beyond that, I think that 13th pick certainly looks uh, more like a receiver at the moment. Yeah, I think I'm, I think they would be comfortable if, Donovan Peoples-Jones is their third best receiver and Anthony Schwartz is their fourth best receiver. So that means adding one more person in the draft or otherwise. If somehow it turns out that Donovan Peoples-Jones is their second best receiver and Anthony Schwartz is their third best receiver, that feels like putting too much on them. I would not be comfortable with that. So whether it's a one more free agent signing or just a first or second round pick who you are inserting in the starting lineup right away. I just, I think they're one away. I I'm trying to decide how comfortable I am with where you put like Anthony Schwartz, Demetri, all these guys where you kind of put them on, on the receiver depth chart. I still feel like, so if, if you have Amari Cooper, if you draft a guy at 13 or even at 44, um, I still feel like there's a piece they need to add in free agency. I still feel like there's another guy out here, whether it's via trade or via free agency. And I'm not talking about like, let's take a flyer on this guy for a couple million bucks. I feel like there's a real, not a 15, $20 million player, but I feel like there's a real guy in that second or third tier that I still think this roster needs, even if you draft a guy. And I don't know if that's, you know, that, is LaVisca Chenault going to become available? Is that a guy you could bring in? Is DJ Chark going to be out? There's, there's got to be somebody. I still think there's somebody in this equation that they need to add to that room on top of drafting someone high. Is his name Richard Higgins, Dan? <laughs> oh. <laughs> You're asking the wrong guy that question. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Um So, yeah, I see what you're saying. I think they probably could use another experienced veteran. And I actually think that when all is said and done, they will probably add another veteran. And I still think that they're going to do something very significant in the draft at receiver. Uh, Again, either with number 13, maybe they trade back into the first round. Maybe they move up a little bit into the second round. It's deep enough that you can find good guys there. So I, I still think you'll see two more guys, significant guys come onto the team. Is this affected by 
Andrew Barry asking Kevin Stefanski how much 11 personnel he ideally wants to run, that if they're in 12 a lot and there's only two receivers on the field, does it reduce, Dan, the need of like, uh, we need another body? Whereas if, hey, if Kevin says, you know what, I, I'd like to get a little more 11, it's like, all right, well, then who's the third receiver on the field? If that guy's going to be on the field a lot, right now it's, it's Donovan Peoples-Jones. When you talk about that, Dan, are you talking about it more from a production standpoint or more from a, another veteran guy in the room to go in with Peoples-Jones, Schwartz, who are young guys and a rookie? So I, I think that's an interesting part of this because, you know, we have to follow the money of how this roster is built right now at, at the moment. Now it could change, you know, if they turn around and trade Austin Hooper or cut him after June 1st, whatever, that could change things. But the way the roster is built right now is they do have like $20 million tied up in two tight ends. They have a ton of money tied up in their running backs. They've got like $30 million tied up in their, in their guards. This is still a team built to run heavy personnel and run. I mean, that's where your money is right now. And this is money that Andrew Barry at this point has spent in, in building this roster. So I think if the, I guess the, the way the money is sort of passed around this probably is still a very heavy personnel team, but I still think there's room for a guy because I think you're trying to replace multiple things in Jarvis Landry. And I know that like, he wasn't the fastest guy, but like he wasn't the top of the list when you went through, well, who's the fastest, who's the strongest, who's this, but Jarvis did a lot of things for you. And he offered a lot of versatility. And I think you're almost trying to replace him a little bit with multiple people. So maybe, maybe Anthony Schwartz does this, Demetric Felton does that. Maybe this other receiver does this and takes pressure off of whoever you draft, especially if it's a second round pick takes pressure off of that guy to come in week one, year one, and be like, Hey, you're our number two receiver. I, I still think there's room for that. Even if you're kind of a heavier team. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I came into this season off season wondering like what Andrew Barry thought, like how he valued wide receivers. Like we were finally going to find that out. Right. Cause OBJ has gone. We figured Landry was gone. So he was going to be in a position of having to go out and get new receivers. And I think Cooper tells us that there is a lot of value there. And I think like there was some smoke today about um, Allen Robinson being on the Browns radar. Um, like if that had happened, then, then you, you know that, all right. Yeah. They, they do value wide receiver a ton. They do think in terms of like PFF swings above replacement. Right. And in saying wide receiver has a huge impact on determining wins and losses in the league today. And even though we are, we, we run the ball a ton and we use tight ends a lot, there's still a lot of value in having quality talent at wide receiver, even if it's only two guys out there for, you know, almost half, half of your snaps. Um, you know, they inherited OBJ and Landry, but it seems like Andrew Barry, at least from the Cooper thing so far, um, understands that uh, you can't just kind of fudge that position. I mean, if you're at the bottom of the league in targets or, you know, you're not throwing as much to wide receivers as everybody else. You know, I, um, I think it's more in terms of quality than quantity. I don't necessarily think they need a million bodies at receiver, but I think they need at least one more really good elite receiver, which again, I think that uh, they're probably going to have to find that guy in the draft. As far as Allen Robinson, uh, well, I actually have a funny little story about that today, but I, you know, I told our tech subscribers and then later wrote it that they are not in the mix for Allen Robinson. 
but as a little bit before I was getting ready to come on this podcast and I was finishing up uh, a post where I, that was like my second item after some Deshaun Watson stuff, my husband said, Adam Schefter says the Browns just agreed to terms on a four-year deal with <laughs> Allen Robinson. And I had already given our subscribers a little tip and I was feeling good about myself. <laughs> and, uh, and I had a heart attack. I was like, what? I'm like, no. And um, now my husband uh, is not that much of a Twitter guy. He's actually more of a Facebook guy. Um, but anyways, that's a podcast for another day. <laughs> so I was like, I'm looking all over. I'm like, oh my God, no, I, I just told everybody this isn't happening. So I'm like, where are you seeing this? He's like, it's Adam Schefter. It just came across my Twitter. So I, I run out. Don't you love the way that women always mimic their husband's voices? <laughs> 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 so I run over there. I, I grab the phone and it's A-D-A-A-M Schefter with no blue check. Yeah. Yeah. And so I had to teach him a little bit about how this works. Do not shout out to your Browns beat writer wife that Adam Schefter just reported <laughs> the Browns signed Allen Robinson to a four-year deal. Anyways, that's not happening. They're not in the mix for Allen Robinson right now. But again, I do think that it's more a function of they need quality, like really good receivers whether or not they're going to play two, because I'm not saying that all of a sudden they're going to be playing a bunch of three wides, but they certainly need two really good ones. So they got to get another one of those. And then they've got complimentary pieces that they could probably live with if they at least get that other guy. When we talk about the people who might help replace Jarvis, Dan, as you were sort of running through, is David and Joku potentially part of that? When you look at the PFF numbers last year, they have him lining up as like an inline tight end 69% of the time. And then the slaughter out wide 31% of the time, we know how good of a blocker he is, but can he pick up, say they draft somebody and like, okay, the, the, the guys out wide are going to be Amari Cooper and the other person they add. Could we see a little more on Joku in the slot that helps fill that gap? I would hope so because they're going to be paying him almost $11 million. So like if they need him to pick that up, it's time. Like we, we need you to be a legitimate down to down threat in the passing game now. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think the expectation should at least be if he's going to be getting $11 million that, that he needs to be able to, to pick up some of that too. Uh, abs- I mean, absolutely. That, that could be part of the solution. I think it's multiple bodies. And the other thing too, when we talk about 11 personnel, like, this team was still in 11, like 46% of the time last year, which is low by NFL standards, but that's still a lot of plays. That's like, I think uh, I just had it up here, but I closed the tab 482 plays according to Warren Sharp's personnel groupings page. Mm-hmm. So 482 plays is a lot of plays. Even if you're not a team that runs 11, you know, at the, at the highest level in the league. Hey, I'm, I'm going to, make it official right now. We are not allowed to do a podcast or write any stories about who the third wide receiver is this year. <laughs> None. This is not going to be a topic because wow. the third wide receiver on this team is going to be like the fifth or sixth leading receiver on this team. It's, it's after, after Cooper and, you know, it's going to be tight ends. It's going to be Kareem Hunt. Um, you know, it's that, that guy, whoever it ends up being, is not going to be a significant part of this offense. Um, in terms of production, for sure. So 
So that's it. No more, no more third wide receiver talk this year. We're going to hold you to that because I still, I am not writing that story. I've got big, (laughs) I still have big high hopes for Anthony Schwartz. Big, big, big high hopes for Anthony Schwartz. I really do. Did Um, I just catch a a tinge of Kareem Hunt as the third receiver? (laughs) Oh no, we're done with those stories too, aren't we? Yeah. yeah, yeah. He is not the slot receiver. He is not the third receiver. (laughs) He might be third in receiving, but, uh, Listen, it's Scott, most likely 20, going to be a tight end. It's 2022, so you got to come up with an extra question this year. I wouldn't. Uh, right. I wouldn't be taking questions off the table yet. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But can I, I want to say something about Jarvis Landry that um, that I think is something that we haven't talked about enough over the years or brought up over the years is that when you have a receiver that is that good, I'm very surprised that he didn't catch more touchdown passes while he was here. He averaged four touchdown catches a year. His, his highest was six and in his, and that was one time. And in his last two seasons, despite the fact that he almost never misses games. Now he did miss games last year for the first time, but in his last two seasons, he caught five touchdown passes. So what they need now, and this is, this is what they really should get from Amari Cooper. They need somebody that can score the football. Okay. Now you got to have your quarterback feeling good and getting the ball and, getting the ball to these guys in the red zone and whatnot. Uh, But you need guys that can score the football in the passing game. I think David's capable of more of it, but I'm just surprised that, that Jarvis didn't catch more touchdown passes. And I just don't think it's that hard to replace um, the TD production, which is the most important thing in my mind. I think a lot of that has to do with how he was like, how he plays too. Like he's not a, he's not going to streak down the field and catch 40 and 50 yard passes. You know, he's, he's always been a little bit like a running back and shorter range stuff. And they get him the ball in different ways. He did score two rushing touchdowns last year. Uh, so, so we can at least give him that. And he did throw for a touchdown in, in 2020, but yeah, I mean, he's never really been a, a big touchdown guy. He had nine in 2017, but most other years he had six in 2019, but most other years it's been in that kind of four or five range. So um, I think a lot of that is just sort of the way most receivers, if they're going to score a bunch of touchdowns, it's going to be on long stuff, right? When you start to get down in the red zone, that's where you start looking to your tight ends, your running backs. And, and I feel like maybe that's part of why his, his touchdown production wasn't always there. Or if you're a receiver down there, you, you want to be isolated and you want to be like quick off the snap. You're beating your guy one-on-one and that's not necessarily his strong suit. I just think that, he should have been way capable, capable of way more than, than what he had here under four, a game four per season. Uh, I don't know. I just, I, he's such a good, re- he's got such good hands and he's so good uh, at just catching the darn ball. I would have found a way to, you know, to get him in the end zone more or in the red zone more and get the ball in his hands more. Okay. So, um, you know, let, let me ask one more thing about Jarvis and, you know, would it have been tenable to have Jarvis back if Baker is in fact still the quarterback? And it does seem like we're, we're, we continue to barrel towards like Baker by default is going to be the quarterback. Would would that have been tenable in 2022? Mm -hmm. You think so, Mary Kay? I do. I think so. Because uh, just because first of all, it gives, and I've said this before, it gives Baker uh, his go-to guy. It gives him a guy that he has instant natural chemistry, which with, which he doesn't have with everybody. And 
if you're trying to rebuild Baker's confidence to supply him with that guy, uh, I, I don't think that would have been the worst thing in the world at all, especially if they're both healthy and Jarvis professes to be as injured as Baker was or more. So I actually think that, that it would have been very helpful for Baker to have him. And I think that's one of the reasons why the Browns did want to resign him and they tried and, and Jarvis wanted to come back, but it does come down to the money. And, you know, I, I still never say never until the door is completely slammed shut on a guy. I always leave it open. I leave the light on, on him for, on, for him just a crack. Well, yeah, it feels like roll, roll in money, right. Is more the thing. And I just don't, would he be happy being Scott's talking about, let's not talk about the third receiver. Would Jarvis Landry be happy being that third receiver in Cleveland? I, I don't know. He's been so important and he's, he's not yet 30. I don't know that he would want that reduced role, but I think if the Browns passing game wants to elevate, I kind of think I would maybe want two guys ahead of Jarvis. That's no shot at Jarvis, but I think I'd rather have the top two receivers be Amari Cooper and Drake London or Amari Cooper and George Pickens or Amari Cooper and Garrett Wilson. And so when you then try to combine that with the money, because here's the thing, and, and I would be curious to say what people think Jarvis is going to wind up as. He might wind up as somebody's third receiver, but it might be a team that uses 11 personnel a lot more. So that third receiver has a bigger role. But I always think it's a little easier if you do have a slight reduction in your role, it's easier to go do that somewhere else than to do it at the place where you were the man. And you see it all the time. I mean, it drives me a little bit crazy. It's like in the journalism fields, we see you know people take buyouts and stuff, right? And I've had too many people leave a place where they've worked for 25 years that has employed them as they fed their families. And then they go, they take a buyout or something. They go make 75 bucks writing a story somewhere else. And they're like, oh, this new place is great. They pay me 75 bucks a story. The heck with that old place. And it's like, you mean the old place, the old place that like fed your family for three decades? Now the new 75 bucks a story place is so awesome, <laughs> but that's how people operate. So Jarvis might go somewhere where he's kind of like the third guy and be like, oh, it's awesome here. It's like, well, remember when you were in, in Cleveland and you were like the most important person on the team? That was also awesome. So this is nothing against Jarvis Landry. It's just why I never, it's just a tough needle to thread, man. It's a tough needle to thread. And Mary Kay, I understand why you're leaving the door open a crack. But it just feels like they couldn't thread it. Right, Mary Kay? Right. Good intentions on both sides. They just couldn't thread the needle on money and roll. Well, I, you know, I mean, look what Christian Kirk just got. I mean, my goodness, he hasn't even made a Pro Bowl yet. And he just made $18 million a year. So, I mean, I'm sure with Jarvis having an opportunity to hit the market, he's not going to settle for peanuts because People get overpaid on the open market. So it does come down to money. There is pride involved, uh, you know, like with Sheldon Richardson. I mean, uh, when you ask somebody to take a pay cut, I mean, you know, like you said, it's easier to go do that somewhere else sometimes than with your current place. But I mean, look, people are handing out some big bucks to receivers and he already has a lot of interest from uh, apparently from like the Chiefs, the Saints, I've heard Packer. I mean, we're seeing different things, but he's probably going to get significantly more than what the Browns offered him in that redo. So the, the Christian Kirk thing, I do want to touch on this quickly with him getting that contract. 
And, and I don't know if that's going to like reset the market potentially, but like that's, that's a huge number for Christian Kirk. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wasn't on the, the emergency Amari Cooper pod, but doesn't that sort of reinforce this idea that like striking before free agency and essentially getting Amari Cooper, yes, you got to pay him $20 million, but getting Amari Cooper for what was basically a fifth round pick before free agency even started, it like, like was even more important if this is where the market's going to go. I don't think anybody saw Christian Kirk's contract coming, but I, I do agree that getting him locked up before anything started, you're not bidding. And as we pointed out, you're bringing in somebody to an offense that's totally different than what he's experienced in his career. Um, and he's likely not, he's, he's more likely to get fewer targets here than more. So um, you're avoiding a lot of selling and a lot of negotiating and you're bringing in this guy, you know, not saying it's against his will. I'm just saying <laughs> you're bringing him in on your terms and not necessarily his terms. Okay. Let's talk about the other Browns. Uh, the other Browns move today real quickly. And then there's a couple things I want to get to uh, real quick in the second half of the pod, but Taven Bryan uh, defensive tackle. We know the Browns needed to, uh, to kind of beef up that position. So not a guy that really stands out necessarily that like, okay, this guy's going to come in and, and be a stud defensive tackle in this room, but has some very interesting testing numbers. Um, is athletic, a former first round pick Scott. I know you just kind of wrote about this. This is kind of Andrew Barry gambling on a guy uh, who looked really good in the draft process and maybe hasn't lived up to that potential yet. And to me, it felt a little bit like tack McKinley. So, so I guess, what did you kind of find out digging into Taven Bryant? Well, yeah, well, the first thing I noticed is, or I thought of is like, he's another high draft pick who didn't really pan out with his first team, like, like McKinley, like Carl Joseph, um, Kevin Johnson, and like second rounders, he got Malik McDowell and MJ Stewart. Um, so they don't always work out great when Andrew Barry gets these guys, but you're getting them affordable. And as far as um, why they might have wanted him, he has played a not insignificant amount of snaps at edge uh, for the Jaguars. Where is it? He played 67% of his total snaps in 2018 on the outside. So it's been, it's been closer to like 40% the last couple of years. They did go through a scheme change last season. They went from a four, three to a three, four. Uh, and they went out and got, uh, some more people along the line and he just kind of got pushed out. He came out of the gates first couple of years. He had pretty good PFF grades uh, in the seventies, but the last couple of seasons he's below 60. Um, he's not somebody who's created a lot of pressures. His career high is 25. His career high in sacks is two uh, for a single season. So you're really banking on a guy, maybe getting a new uh, into a new situation, a new defense, um, that that maybe gets more out of him that's you know he's not I wouldn't I wouldn't look at Taven Bryan and say he's your starter defensive tackle I think he's one of the candidates because you have some really young guys in there like second year and third year guys under contract so he's an option and again he you know I think Mary Kay you reported the contracts up to five million so uh it's not a lot of money and if you hit on him great I, I he would be ranked like 29th and defensive tackle salary next season. So let's remember how bar, how low the bar is. 
for Brown's defensive tackles right now. Among defensive tackles that played at least 20% of their team snaps last year, Malik Jackson, the PFF grades, was 118. Malik McDowell was 110. Taven Bryant was 73. Okay, that's 35 <laughs> spots better. He's one of the best 75 defensive tackles in the league. Woo, that's an upgrade. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's another body to throw in there, to throw into the rotation. This is not some big blockbuster signing. It's really their, their first free agent signing, but I think this shows where they're at as a football team. They didn't need to go out and, you know, and find the best defensive lineman in the NFL right now. Uh, you know, he, he's another guy that they can put in there. They feel pretty good about uh, what they have in Tommy Togiai. I think they feel pretty good about Jordan Elliott. They'll probably continue to look. They might draft uh, a defensive tackle in this draft because it's pretty deep for that. So, you know, I mean, he, again, he, all those reasons that Scott just stated and all those statistics, I mean, he's got some upside. He's a role player. He's one of these guys where, you know, the Patriots always do this. They go out and they find some guy that's going to play some kind of a role for you and you pay him what he's worth and you bring him in for maybe a year. And uh, you know, he belongs to the cast off, of first round picks club that the Browns have going here and have had for the past couple of years. So, you know, it's, it's not an overwhelming headliney kind of signing, but it's an Andrew Barry fill a need kind of guy. Seems like a good bet to take. It's, it's a good approach, you know, as, as you're kind of going through this process. And by the way, Doug, I did see a mock draft of the Browns taking at number 13, Devonte Wyatt. Too high, too high, but <laughs> I would not endorse that. Yeah. But I, he's still apparently in the, in the Browns mock draft realm. He's just moved up a full day uh, as to when <laughs> they might want to take him. Okay, let's take a break here. And then when we come back, we've got to talk a little bit of Pittsburgh Steelers. And we are back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, the first day of the legal tampering period uh, in the NFL. The league year opens Wednesday at 4 o'clock. And let's talk some Steelers football here because Pittsburgh has, it appears, their starting quarterback uh, in Mitch Trubisky. Now, I did see a Steelers beat reporter tweet out that Mason Rudolph could still compete for that job, but uh, whatever. Mitch Trubisky brought in on a two-year deal. So I, I asked this, it was a few weeks ago. I think I threw out to everybody a few names, like if this guy signed with the Steelers or if that guy signed with the Steelers, how would you feel? So let's play the game. Doug, how do you feel about Mitch Trubisky, Steelers quarterback? Well, Dan, and you threw that out, you threw that idea out so well. We did do a whole podcast about that <laughs> while you were on vacation and not listening there to podcasts, but we <laughs> did. What might the Steelers do at quarterback? It does feel like I know a lot of people have said it feels like there's would still be in the market to draft somebody potentially. That Mitch is on a two-year deal. This is not, you know, lock it up for the next decade in Pittsburgh. Uh, I go back and forth on Mitch. It's one of those things. It's like you go through the sort of the wash cycle of this that. It wasn't great in Chicago, but he's sort of rehabbed himself as a backup in Buffalo. And now everybody seems to sort of be in on Mitch. But you still look at the numbers and like he, there's a lot of things that he was not that great while he was a starting quarterback in Chicago. So I think this is like a moderate move for the Steelers, as if you like the Browns and most of the people listening to this do. I wouldn't be in panic mode about this. I think we've, we've definitely brought up Mitch on that Steelers podcast. And there's some kind of thing of like, Oh, great. Now. Oh, why don't you just get the Cleveland guy and have them go. Right. I mean, there's that part of it, but in terms of what he is, you know, I think he could be good. 
but he's certainly not a sure thing. But in the end, if they wind up drafting Malik Willis still, and it's like Mitch Trubisky and Malik Willis, well, that's, that's kind of like two shots at the dartboard that feel like, man, that, that could maybe be a thing. So I'll be curious to see what they do with Trubisky, but compared to Deshaun Watson going to Pittsburgh, right. Or other big time moves, Russell Wilson or something like that. This is certainly much better for Browns fans. So I think it's like a nice B move by the Steelers. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Uh, You know, it still sort of has the feel of we're drafting a quarterback to me. Uh, You know, it doesn't, you know, it's a little bit of a hard sell in terms of, Hey, we're replacing future hall of famer, Ben Roethlisberger with Mitch Trubisky. So I do feel like they maybe uh, they might have another play up their sleeve in terms of uh, somebody that could be there at number 20 for them, or that they could try to trade up and draft somebody, whether it be Kenny Pickett or Malik Willis or one of these other guys, because there are some other guys that, uh, that teams have rated as high as Pickett and Willis. Some people like Sam Howell, some people like Matt Corral, you know? So I, I think that, they probably still feel that there is an opportunity there for them. But Mitch, I think he has some merit. I'm eager to see what he can do. I talked to people at the combine that said he just was not well coached, that there's more to him. Uh, there's more good football in him that, that people haven't really seen yet. And uh, so I'm very interested to see how this turns out. I mean, I see this as more of a bridge to next year's draft that perhaps they don't like the quarterback's in this class and they figure Mr. Trubisky can at least get us to a better year and we'll do what we can to, to get a guy that we really like. Um, but, you know, and I told Mary Kay and Dan this before we started the podcast that like, has there ever been anybody who rehabilitated his image as much by not playing as Mitch Trubisky, like just being in Buffalo apparently made everybody forget uh, his issues in Chicago. Um, but having said that, I do think that he gives the Steelers offense more versatility. It isn't going to be death by a thousand paper cuts anymore. Um, you're probably going to see play action. You're going to see him under center. You're going to see just more things happening than they could do with Ben Roethlisberger because Ben had been in that, you know, his offense for, for a long time and he was comfortable doing what he was comfortable doing. And, um, you know, he did not want to go under center and take snaps. He wanted to be in shotgun and, and throw quickly. And that's what they did. So I think you'll see a different Steelers offense. Um, it will, remains to be seen if it's going to be better. Yeah, I mean, in, so I went back and looked in 2018. Mitch had a pretty good running game. Uh, they, they had two running backs. Uh, Tariq Cohen was really good catching the ball out of the backfield. So I am curious to see how he looks with Najee Harris, who's a really good multi-purpose back. Uh, I mean, he got a ton of targets at times this year um, in, in that offense. See if they maybe go to that mobility a little bit. And, and let Mitch run. That was the year that he ran for over 400 yards. Um, you know, I think it, it at least makes that offense like watchable, I guess, which is a, a step up. And we were kind of talking before we came on, if the Steelers have, if they can get Mitch to like top 20, top 18 quarterback play, they're not going to go in the Super Bowl, but they're, they're still a dangerous football team if that defense can kind of replicate what they did last year. Yeah. And the other thing real quick is that, that, um, you know, the Steelers, no matter what, and they've never had a losing season under Mike Tomlin, 
So I don't know that they could actually really count on next year's good, rich, robust quarterback draft for finding their guy because, I mean, chances are they're not going to be picking very high again next year. They just always somehow seem to find a way to win games, and I think that's in part, in large part because they always have such a good defense. And again, now they've got a running game and their quarterback play should be better. And I think their schedule is probably easier than it was last year or will be easier than it was last year. So, um, so I don't know that they can, I don't know that they can count on uh, getting one of the best of the best next year. They, they've got to come up with something this year. Hey, quick note to the, to the Browns. If the Steelers do suggest playing at Byers field in Parma for their games against the, the don't do that because Mr. Bisky is pretty much unbeatable there. Just Google it. You'll, you'll know. Yeah. <laughs> I do think the Steelers can make the playoffs with Mr. Bisky this year. Right. And it's interesting what you said, Mary Kay. It's like Mike Tomlin ha- has been great, but they could have just said, uh, go with Mason Rudolph. Mason Rudolph might've gotten him a good pick. We were talking about four and 13 Mason Rudolph that if they wanted the tank, they don't want to, they could have taken this year after Ben, as good as their defense is tank, and then see if you come out of it with Bryce Young or CJ Stroud next year. Mm-hmm. And Mitch Trubisky is going to, they're too, they're going to be too good for that now. I think signing Mitch Trubisky has ensured that. I think there is some 10% chance that could Mitch Trubisky show he's like a top 12 quarterback, shows athleticism, utilize his strengths. I, I think there's a small window for that. So I, I think there's a little bit of an upside role here. You can't bank on it. You know, I, I like Mitch is like a, Hey, throw him in with Baker and see who comes out of it and see if you get two swings at the, at the apple or whatever, but two bites at the apple, but like to make Mitch your guy, it's like now we're rolling with Mitch. It's like, okay, well, you're not going to win the Super Bowl this year, but you might go 10 and seven, but then what does 10 and seven gets you out of range of CJ Stroud and Bryce Young. So like, I'll be, I'll be curious to see how this progresses. Cause I think we maybe thought that whole podcast we did is like, what's the future of the Steelers quarterback position. And I think with the Mitch Trubisky signing, that question remains open because I don't think it's this. And then where are they going to go? You don't have to be bad to get your guy though. I mean, the chiefs got Patrick Mahomes, right? Yep. You can move up and you know, if you're willing to, to give up what you need to get that guy, you can make it happen. Yeah, Yeah. that's true. And, uh, and Jimmy Garoppolo showed this year that you can make it to the NFC championship game even with just an above average quarterback, if everything else is really good. So anything can happen. That's a good comparison for them. Yeah. That, that Steelers level of defense, that Niners level of defense mm-hmm. and a quarterback who's good enough. That's a good comparison. I mean, are the Steelers and Browns are kind of asking the same thing this season right now. Right. And you know, unless the Browns do something a quarterback still there's, they're kind of asking the same question. Can this guy be at least Jimmy Garoppolo? Unless the Browns actually go get Jimmy Garoppolo and they have that answer. <laughs> but like that, the, you know, if they do in fact stick with Baker, that's sort of your, that's your hopeful floor, I would imagine. And then the, the Steelers, yeah, that's, that's a really good comparison. They're kind of saying the same thing. Can he be at worst what Jimmy Garoppolo was to the, to the 49ers this year? Mm-hmm. All right. Should be, uh, should be interesting in the, uh, the AFC North. So Baker's the third best quarterback still in the North, right? Which is fourth? Sure. <laughs> the battle is on. 
<laughs> I wasn't I wasn't sure if we wanted to go another hour tonight or not. Apparently we don't. All right, that'll do it here on uh, this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We'll be bringing you free agency podcasts throughout the week uh, as the Browns. And if the Browns make a huge move, of course, we'll bring you an emergency podcast on that. So uh, stay tuned. Make sure you subscribe to every listener podcast and become a Football Insider subscriber. You got a bunch of texts today if you are a Football Insider subscriber. So get on board. Cleveland.com slash Browns the Blue Banner at the top of the page. For Scott, Mary Kay, and Doug, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody.